As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you uh, to please pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, I, I pray now that you'll help us. Um, we've been uh, listening to the scripture. Many of us for decades. All of us since we began our service this morning. And so I trust that we've been attentive. And so I pray that you'll continue, Holy Spirit, to enable us to be attentive to this word, to listen to it, and even more so, to believe it. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians in chapter 7. 2 Corinthians in chapter 7, please. I'm going to read verses 2 through Two through nine, that's all I need. Two Corinthians chapter seven and verse two, please. This is the word of the Lord. Make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I did not regret it, though I did regret it for. I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, I could just do a, a little bit of uh, work to set this up. Um, this particular passage picks up where we left off in chapter 2. Uh, in chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, 14, uh, Paul, 12 through 14, Paul had just left to go to Macedonia. Uh, I'll just read that verse 12. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. And then in verse 14 of chapter two, all the way through chapter, the beginning of chapter seven, there's a, kind of an aside, a bit of a parenthesis. Uh, uh, Paul is, 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 is just giving a, a defense really of his ministry, why he did it and how he did it. Uh, to show that he was innocent of the of the accusations that had been made towards him, and, and then he picks up now in in verse five particularly uh, about having come to Macedonia and so and, and and finding Titus, and so there he is. So just quickly, we haven't done this in a few weeks. So quickly, just think back through with me uh, how Paul gets there. Remember, he founded the church in Corinth. We can read about that in the book of Acts. He stayed there for quite some time, a year and a half or so, which was a long time for Paul to stay in a place. Stayed there for a while, built up the church, if you will, taught them well, uh, and then had to leave for 
the various and obvious reasons. Usually that Paul left a place, it got, uh, the authorities got, religious authorities got uncomfortable with him, and so, so he took off. And, uh, and, and so he left Corinth, and, and then he, he wrote to them a letter that we don't have. We, we, we read about that in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5. And then he writes to them what we know is his first letter, 1 Corinthians. He writes to them a number of issues happening in the life of the church. And so he writes to them about that. Sends Timothy, it seems, with the letter. Timothy returns after having gone to visit the church in Corinth. And he has a bad report, essentially, about what's going on there. False apostles have come in. They've begun to, to be attracted to them and, and, and others who are, who are teaching in such a way that's disparaging of Paul. And, and, and then there seems to be a particular person who has something against Paul. And so then Paul makes a visit to the church in Corinth. It was an unplanned visit. Back to the end of his, his letter to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the end of that letter, he said, here's my itinerary, I'm going to go to, to Macedonia, he was in Ephesus, he says, I'm going to go to Macedonia, and then I'm going to come in winter with you in Corinth, changes his plans because of the report that Timothy brings to him, and so he goes to Corinth, and what he refers to as his painful visit, and it's a painful visit because he goes there and he has to confront the accusations that have been made against him. We can get a sense of some of those in summary in, in this uh, uh, verse 2 of even chapter 7. He says, for we've wronged no one. Obviously, someone was saying that he had wronged them. Corrupted no one. Obviously, someone was saying he had corrupted them. Probably theologically, perhaps morally, uh, was the accusation. Corrupted no one. Taken advantage of no one. Probably financially. You know, Paul was always collecting money for people. But then he always said he never took that money for his ministry. He always made tents to, to make his money. And so he didn't take that money. He, he collected it to take to the, 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 the Christians in Jerusalem who were being persecuted and who were poor. And so he, he was perhaps accused that he had taken advantage of them financially. It's difficult to know exactly all the parameters there. And so he, he goes, he must have gone, and that painful, painful, painful visit. And so he returns and he returns probably with the promises, I'm going to come back. But thinking about that, he decides not to go and, and talk to them again about this. Because he doesn't want to hurt them further. He doesn't want to grieve them further. He's already grieved them enough, he feels, by his first visit. And, he, and so he writes this letter to them, which he calls a tearful letter. We don't have that one either. And, and so he writes this tearful letter to them. And he sends Titus, his dear, as he calls him, son in the faith. And he writes to Titus, you know, that whole letter in the New Testament called Titus. That's Paul to Titus, same Titus. And he, he writes to Titus and he calls him his son in the faith. That's his affection for Titus. That's how much he loves him. And so he trusts and sends Titus with this tearful letter. And then you get the sense that Paul's on pins and needles as he sends that tearful letter. He, he wonders how the church is going to receive it. He wonders how the church is going to receive Titus because Titus is so connected to him. And, and, and they've rejected Paul and so he sends Titus and he wonders, will they, will they reject him too? And I, I love Titus. I don't want him to go through what I've gone through with him. And so, so he's, he's on pins and needles about that. And so he leaves, we find, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 that I read a minute ago, that he leaves uh, 
Ephesus to go to Troas because a door has been opened for the gospel there. Now, when Paul says that, that's a big deal. That's saying, I get to go there and preach the gospel unrestrained. There's a door open. So you would think that would be like the biggest thing in Paul's life. And he's saying that's the greatest thing. But when he got there, he was still so concerned about the people in Corinth and so concerned about Titus that he couldn't stay there and take advantage of this open door. Now, again, just knowing this apostle, you need to realize the state he must have been in in order not to be able to take advantage of that open door, not to be able to to do his work there. And so he left there because he didn't find Titus. And he went on to Macedonia where he did. And that's where we pick up the story. Titus meets Paul finally in Macedonia. Titus had gone to Corinth with the tearful letter. And now he meets Titus in in, in Macedonia, perhaps with something Philippi, it doesn't matter. But in, in one of the churches, one of the cities in, uh, in Macedonia. So that's where we find him. But notice the change. And this is what I want us to highlight on this morning. Notice the change in Paul when he visits with Titus. He says to this, verse 4, he says, I'm acting with great boldness to you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. Then verse 5, he says, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that... I rejoiced still more. Uh, Paul's gone from this state of being downcast. One translation has it depressed. Being downcast uh, to being overflowing with joy. And the question is, how did that happen? What caused that? What can we learn from Paul's experience, even as he relates it? What can we learn here from him about going from this state of being downcast to being overflowing with with joy? Well, the, the, the key word, of course, is the word comfort. Paul was comforted. That's what he said. And that's, that was the link between his downcast and his overflowing with joy. So the question is, what's that comfort? What's that What's that mean? What's the source of it? How did Paul receive it? What did that lead to in his life? And then what do we, what do we learn from that? Okay, you just see the flow there. We want to know what this comfort is. We want to know how it came to him. Because if it came to him, it comes to us. So how did it come to him? Uh, what was the end result of it? What did it lead? Uh, what do we learn? So what is this comfort with which Paul was comforted that sent him from being, uh, from being downcast to being uh, overflowing with joy? Now, this little word comfort uh, can be translated in a variety of ways. I'll give you the Greek word in a minute. I know you're on pins and needles waiting for it. Uh, but you know it, so I'll give it to you. But, uh, but, but, but that particular Greek word can be translated in a variety of ways. It's translated with this meaning of comfort, as we'll see, 31 times in the New Testament. This is for your Bible accountants. Uh, for 31 times in the New Testament. Um, uh, 25 of those 31s is used by Paul 
in his letters. All right? So, so 25 of the 31 are used by, by Paul uh, in his letters. 17 of those 25 uses are used in 2 Corinthians. So you get the fact that this book in 2 Corinthians is about this comfort. 17 of the 25 times that Paul uses this word, it's used in this one letter. It's used 10 times in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians in just verses 3 through 7. And then the other seven times he uses it in 2 Corinthians, it's used in the passage that I just read. So I only say that to say it's a big deal for Paul. This is the letter of comfort, really. And, and what's helpful to know is that this is probably the most personal of all Paul's letters. I mean, we, we get to know him, who he is, what he did, and why he did it better in 2 Corinthians than anywhere else, probably because he's defending himself. Now, remember, he's not defending himself because of his ego. It's not about him. It's not because somehow... They've invalidated him, though they have. It's not personal in that sense. But Paul's deal is that if they reject him as the apostle of Jesus, they'll reject the gospel that he brings. And if they reject the gospel that it brings, it will be detrimental, eternally detrimental to them. And so he doesn't want that. So he says, okay, I'll reluctantly do that. That's why from time to time in Second Corinthians, Paul says, I'm talking like a fool here. You know, I'm talking like like a crazy man here because how can I defend myself really? But I have to in order so that you won't reject Christ. And so so that's why he's he's doing all of this. And so he's received received comfort. What does that mean? Now, the Greek words that are translated comfort in Paul's letters, especially here in Second Corinthians, are, are these words. Uh, para, you could say it like this. Uh, parakletos. Paracletus. Now, it doesn't always help to divide up a word, but let's do it with this one. Para, you know, that means means come alongside of. We talk about a paraprofessional in the classroom. A paraprofessional in a classroom is a person who comes alongside the teacher to help. Right? That's a that's a paraprofessional. We we use in the language of of the church parachurch. Uh, parachurch ministry is a ministry that comes alongside of para comes alongside the church to help the church. Now, because we are in such close relationships with lots of parachurch ministries, I always describe our church as a para-parachurch because we also come alongside the campus ministries and the other parachurch ministries to help them. So it's one big happy family. But para means to come alongside of. Um, Kaleo means to call, to summons. So uh, when we talk about this comfort, Parakletos, uh, paraklesis, we're saying this is someone, something coming alongside to help. And I mention that because the translation comfort is fine. It's more of an, an older use of the term understanding of the word comfort. It, it's a fine word, but we have a tendency to think of it differently than I think the biblical text wants us to think of it. When I think of comfort, I think of a comforter. That's on our bed and, and it just makes you feel snug and warm. That's not what this means. Uh, uh, it's not being uh, comfortable. I think when I'm comfortable, it means that all the distractions, all the difficulties have been taken out of my life and everything is just hunky-dory, 
right? So, so comfort, uh, we think of comfort food. We eat that because it makes us feel really good. This isn't what that's about. Uh, uh, it's comfort. We need to think of the fort part of it, right? To be fortified, to come with fortification, to come with strength, to come with power. Uh, That's why the Holy Spirit is, when he's referred to as the Perikletos, is is translated in some versions of our Bible, the helper, because he comes to help. He comes to strengthen. One one writer put it like this. He says, in the time of Wycliffe, uh, what would that be, 14th century, Wycliffe translated the Bible from the Vulgate, from the Latin, so this word comfort would have this sense of, of fortification. Uh, so in the time of Wycliffe, the word was closely connected with its root. The Latin fort, fortis, which means brave, strong, courageous. The comfort that Paul had in mind had nothing to do with a languorous feeling of contentment. It's not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the trouble of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Let me read that last sentence again. He said it way better than I could have ever said it. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the trouble, troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. That's the sense of it. So Paul says, whatever happened to me gave me this comfort. It gave me this strength. I was infused with strength. Uh, comfort isn't like comfort food that wants you to take a nap. It's like an energy bar that makes you want to get out there and, and face it. It's not like a comforter that comes over you that, 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 that causes you to, to feel soft and, and warm and escape the elements. It's, it's this strength that enables you to enter into those elements and face them triumphantly and deal with him. He said, now that's how I am. I've received this comfort. I've received this, this, this strength. Now, why did Paul need it? Well, we've said why he needed it. Notice how he puts it. He says, verse five, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. In other words, he, he talks about the frailty of our body. And we've talked about this before. It's good to get to know this, this man, Paul, some, uh, the life that he lived. He, he talked about the, the frailty of his body, no doubt the impact of all the travel. Not easy travel. This isn't air travel. This isn't by nice car with air conditioning. This is difficult, difficult travel over difficult, difficult, dangerous roads in uncomfortable ways and, and, and over the seas. And so he, he lost meals. He lost sleep. And no doubt it took a toll on his body. Plus the persecutions, the imprisonments, obviously, the beatings. Being left for dead. All those situations in his life. He, he, when he got to Macedonia, his body ached. It had no, no, no rest. It couldn't be quieted. And he said he was afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. When he talks about fighting without, he isn't being literal that he actually exchanged blows with people, though he, he received them. But, but no doubt because of, of all the disputes that, that went around Paul. Everywhere he went, even in Corinth, there were disputes about him, even in the context of the church. 
People were against him. And you can only imagine the toll that that took on him. So, and the fears within. No doubt he feared for Titus and his safety. Would he make the trip? He's carrying money back and forth. Would he be, would he be accosted on the way or on the way back? And how would they receive him? Were they going to, 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 to be disparaging of him as they had been of Paul? Would they reject him because he was related to Paul? I mean, how would they receive him? So he had all of these fears within. And, and so he needed this strength, this comfort. He refers to himself as one who is downcast, one who is depressed, one who is discouraged. And this is the reality of this man's life. I have a tendency, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to romanticize Paul, to think he's bigger than life, that he has a big superhero costume on, and he's going from place to place proclaiming the gospel, and people are believing. And it isn't like that at all. He's, he describes himself as weak. He describes himself as, as, as in pain. He describes himself as troubled at times. And so the reality of this man's life that we see... Uh, that we see there. We can only imagine what all this was doing to him, even in Troas, as he couldn't even do his work. I'm thinking that's helpful for us to think about. I'm thinking it's helpful for us to, to think about the weariness of our bodies. And we need strength. It's the weariness of aging, the weariness of just daily living, the weariness of the busyness which we find ourselves. Some of it's, of course, self-imposed busyness and unwise busyness and all of that, but still in the midst of it, the difficulties of just living life in a fallen world with a fallen body. And, uh, and, and then to think, too, just the, 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 the fightings without. You know, we live as believers in Jesus uh, with a different understanding of life, with a different understanding of how things ought to be, with a different understanding about who we are as human beings, as individuals, than the culture in which we live and how we ought to live. And you know as well as I do, the weariness of brushing up against that all the time, the weariness of listening to it on the news, the, the weariness of confronting it, the weariness of even getting sucked up in it. Right, we, we all know that. The fighting's without the fears within. Let's face it, we have our, our anxieties, our worries, our fears. It might be that our f- past will catch up to us. It might be that our present is difficult. It might be our future, just the uncertainty of it. It might be in the area of finances. It might be the difficulties, the fears we have in, the rela- in areas of relationships. It, it might be with our careers, it might be with our education, it uh, might be in the context of family life, just the fears that we experience, a political life, the world in which we live, just the travel that we live. Uh, isn't the word safety the big word these days that everyone's talking about? You can't get away from it. Everywhere you go, there's some sort of color that tells you what the, what the level of, of concern is for the day, whether it's yellow or orange or whatever. Those, I don't even know what they mean. They say it's those colors and I don't know what they mean. Uh, I probably should, but 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 we safety is the the big deal everywhere. We don't leave home, even at home, without thinking about it. So so the the fears with, within we we resonate with all of that. And so the question is, how is it that we that we're able to live? And 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 I say, we say, we need comfort. 
this kind of comfort, this kind of strength that comes uh, to build us up and enables us to face, if you will, to face the day. So where uh, was Paul's, what was Paul's source of, of strength? Verse 6, the two uh, most helpful words, I think, often in a Bible passage. But God. But God. This is all true. The weariness of the body, no rest. The fighting, really that's plural. Fightings on the outside and fears, plural, within. But God, who comforts the downcast. He comforts the downcast, of course. Paul says, the source of my comfort isn't isn't myself. It doesn't come from within. You see, I don't dig deeper to find this comfort. <laughs> it's not generated here. What's generated here is weariness and no rest. What's generated here is is is, is fears. What was generated here is these anxieties. And, and so I, I need help from outside me. And so he says, it's not my source. It's God who's the source. And even though we'll see in a minute, God uses means. And one of the means that God used to bring comfort to Paul was Titus. Uh, he doesn't even cite Titus at this point because he realizes that the comfort that Titus brought came from God. It came from God. Again, no surprise, Paul began this letter by giving us this heads up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, he says that he's the Father of mercies. The word mercy means that God, in this case, looks upon us in our misery, our difficulties, our weariness, our fightings, our fears, our needs. And one who is merciful is one who looks at another's in misery and in difficulty and can't not not help. (laughs) All right? Forgive me for that horrendous sentence. But I don't know how else to say it. He can't not not help. He has to help. He's compelled to help. This is who he is. And he's the father of mercies. You notice it doesn't say he's the judge of mercies. Right? That it wouldn't go together very well. But he's the father of mercies. He's merciful as the perfect father. Maybe not as your father was. Maybe not as you are as a father. Maybe not as I am as a father. But the perfect father. He's merciful like the perfect father is merciful. He responds in mercy. That's who he is. Thus, he's the God of all comfort. He's the God who brings comfort. And so we see first is that's the kind of God God is. (laughs) Whatever else... You may think about God. We mustn't miss this point. And he's the father of mercies. He's the God of comfort. That is to say, he's the God of strength. He's the God who brings strength and power and encouragement and help and assistance. He's that kind of God. And, and he's the God who comforts, who brings this strength and encouragement to the downcast. In other words, you can never be too low. To receive the strength, 
that comes from God. Don't ever think, oh, I'm too low. God could never find me here. That's a lie. In fact, the opposite is true. There's no low, too low, for God to bring that kind of comfort and strength. Now, that doesn't mean we don't feel like we're too low and that God could never find us. The psalmist, one of my most helpful expressions, expressions for me in my life, where the psalmist writes, I was laid low in the dust. I'm not a poet. But if I were, that's the line I would use. How, how, how could you be worse off than laid low in the dust? Paul felt that way. I suspect I've felt that way. You've felt that way. We know that. That kind of discouragement. And, 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 and the psalmist says that, uh, where are you, God, in the midst of this? So, so we get that, and Paul gets that. But what he's here to tell us, like the psalmists are there to tell us, is that God is the God of all comfort. He will come, and he will strengthen. You're not too low. Trust him. Trust him. Keep calling upon him. He'll come, and he'll pericaleo you. He will help you. He will come to be your helper, your comforter, your strength, your encouragement. He really, Paul says, he really He really will. That's who he is. Remember I read earlier in the service that great expression from the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people. That leads in, in in the prophecy of Isaiah, that leads into all those wonderful prophetic words of the Messiah coming (laughs) to bring comfort, to bring strength, to rescue. And he will. And... He does. Now, how is it that this comfort came to Paul? All right. It was God's strength to him. He needed it because he didn't have it. Uh, God brings it because that's the kind of God he is. How did it come to him? Well, God uses various means to bring his strength to us. He uses his word to us, his, his exhortation to us. That's another meaning of the word Pericalesis is, is ex, he exhorts us, he, he speaks to us. And when he speaks to us, these words, uh, his word, as we come to the scripture, it it's, gives us strength. You, you know Psalm 19. The word of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It revives the soul. And so you see, when we're downcast, what should we do? We should go to his word. Why? Because it revives the soul. The passage in Psalm 119 about being laid low in the dust ends with this expression as the psalmist says that he's going to go to God's word and, and seek out his truth and seek out his statutes and seek out his commandments and obey them. And he says, why do I do that? Because, because your word enlarges my heart. It expands my capacity. It brings, it brings, strength, brings strength to me. And, and so it, by his word, as we pray, of course, when we pray, the very strength of God comes to us, which is Paul, right, even himself, in, in, uh, to the church in, in, in Philippi, in, in, uh, in Philippians, and, and uh, chapter 4, you know, this, this passage, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so pray, don't be anxious Pray. 
Uh, he, we learn this through experience. Paul even says later in that same chapter of the church in Philippi, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, every circumstance, I've learned the secret of plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, so he knows that, that this strength comes from God. And even in the midst of difficult circumstances, as he goes to his word, as he prays, God will bring him, him strength. But here, the, the, the means that God uses to bring Paul comfort is other people. Titus, notice how he puts it. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of how you received him. So, so Titus is the, the means that God uses. And even the church in Corinth, their response to Titus is the means that God uses to, to, to bring strength to Paul. And again, we shouldn't be surprised. He's cued us already with this in chapter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul says, listen, we're the means, a means, that God uses to bring strength to each other. And we know this. Paul wrote in his first letter to them that long passage we like to cite about us being a body. We need each other. We're interconnected. Does he say the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you? The head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you? No, no. We're interconnected. It shouldn't surprise us that he uses each of us in the lives of others even to be his means of grace, this grace that brings strength. Paul loved Titus. They had a deep and abiding friendship. And you get the impression that just by seeing Titus, was especially in this situation when he was worried about him, seeing Titus brought him joy. I don't know about you, I have people in my life that just when I see them, it makes me smile. No matter what else, I'm going through in my life. Or if I get a text from certain ones, it just makes me happy. It's a big responsibility they have in my life to keep me sane. <laughs> but I tell them often that it's their responsibility. Right? And, and you play that role in the lives of others as well. Titus played it for Paul. And he was worried. You see, the thing that makes all of this real and work isn't 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the body or 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about the body, but it's that little chapter in the middle of those two chapters that goes by the number of 13 that we call the love chapter. The reason Paul was downcast was because he loved the people in Corinth. The reason, he, he wasn't downcast for himself he was downcast because he loved them. And he realized 
that this broken relationship, their false accusations against him, was leading to their spiritual decline. That's what hurt him. He wasn't hurt for his own ego. He wasn't hurt because whatever. It wasn't about him. It was about them. He loved them. And so he sent Titus. And he loved Titus. So he was worried about Titus. And so when he got good news back, that they had responded well, and they had received Paul, and they had received Titus, Paul was overjoyed. You see, he he learned, he knew, that the best thing in life is when those you love are walking with Christ. There's no greater joy than that. We need to take joy from that. We need to listen to each other's testimonies. We need to we need to share in each other's lives. If not, we'll be underjoyed. We'll be understrengthened, you see. The strength comes from from being in each other's lives into knowing of each other's lives. And you might say, well, well people don't want to hear about my life. That's a lie. People don't really care about me. That's a lie. I won't say this of you. I'll say it's of me. It's my pride when I'm thinking like that. Right? Being passive aggressive at that point. (laughs) I'm saying, oh, you don't really want to hear about me. Now, sometimes we can overdo it, of course. It isn't to whine to each other. but, But it's to share life with each other on our needs. Why? So that others can come and comfort us. And we need to receive their comfort. And that comfort may be a word that they bring to us from the scripture. It may be simply praying for us. It may be in just their presence amongst us and with us that brings us that kind of encouragement. But, 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 but we need that. And, and, and sometimes that, that, that may be formal or informal, the way that that, that, that comes. Sometimes it may be eloquent. Sometimes it may be fumbling and mumbling and bumbling. Uh, however it is, you see, we still need to be in each other's lives, if we're to receive the fullness of the comfort that God has for us, and if we're to overflow in the midst of difficulties in joy. Everything wasn't perfect in Corinth. All the problems weren't solved. We still got a number of chapters to get through. But Paul was able to take this one slice of it, this one piece of it, and say, I can rejoice in this and nothing makes me happy. You know what John writes in 3 John? Of course, you read that all the time. 3 John and verse 4. John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We encourage each other with our lives. And we need to, we need to, we need to do that. Those of you who have been walking with Christ for decades... You need to be encouraged by those who are just now beginning to walk with Jesus. You're to be encouraged by them and look at them and say, yes, it's true. It still works. These kids are believing. This is great. So you need to come to the children's programs, right? Because you see the kids and you go, look at that. And in the confirmation class, look at that. Kids are going through this. When they come to join the church, yes, look at that. Be encouraged by those who are just starting out, right? 
university students, encourage us because we know what they're up against and yet here they are walking with the Lord. When our kids go off to college and they come back for vacations for time, this is the time to look at them and see them in church and be encouraged by them. And we need to tell those kids that have gone off to college and are coming back to come to church. Why? Because it's an encouragement to old people. Right? To say, yes, here they are. They're still walking with the Lord. That, that should overjoy us, if you will. That should cause us to be filled with joy to overflowing. That kind of, of encouragement. Those of you who are hurting deeply need to allow others to come into your life and bless you. And even in your hurts to realize that as you continue to trust Christ in the midst of your hurt, that you're a deep and great encouragement to others as they see you and see your faith. That's why when you're making a decision to come to worship or go to your Bible study or go to your small group or go to a Sunday school class, or it shouldn't just be a calculation of how is this good for me or not good for me. You need to realize that your very presence, your very life encourages others. And there's a great spillover benefit and blessing to those around you. It's never an individual thing. It's always corporate thing. Jesus is our parakletos. He's come to rescue us and to strengthen us. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this cup and drink, uh, eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in. And what we're proclaiming is he's come to rescue us. He's come to strengthen us. He's come to help us. He's come to enable us. But not only that, he's come to join us together that we may, by his spirit, comfort Bring the very comfort of God to each other. This is called communion. We celebrate together our common union. A communion together. And it's to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith. And how is our faith strengthened? Well, our faith is strengthened because we feed upon the Lord Jesus as, as, he's, as he's here, not physically, but spiritually. And we think upon him and we meditate upon him and we experience his presence in a way that we don't otherwise uh, and t- unless we come to this table and he helps us, strengthens us. But we're also strengthened by coming together. This morning as you come, look around. You're not being nosy. Look around. See who else is coming. Think about their lives. And say, wow. And be encouraged by them as they come. And pray as you come. The people who know your life would be encouraged by you. Be encouraged by those who have been walking with Christ for decades and say, yes, thank you, God, for them. Be encouraged by the new ones who are just beginning to walk with Christ. Yes, be encouraged 
by them. Be, be encouraged by, by young families with kids and say, oh, they believe in Jesus. Yes, they're going to need it. Raising these kids, right? Be encouraged by them. Be encouraged by the yoggers who come. Yoggers, be encouraged by your peers who come. Encourage your peers. Don't allow this moment to go through just because you're walking up and just getting it done. Look around. God will comfort you. Let's pray. Father, pray for me for us. On this day, you would set aside this bread and this juice in such a way that would let us know that Jesus is present among us. And that in him we're bound together. We're his body. And that while our Father is the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, we know how you use each other, each of us, to bring this strength and encouragement to be the means of it. And so I pray even as we come to this table, Jesus, you would encourage us, you would comfort us, you would strengthen us. As we know we're in your presence, as we know we've been bound together by you, and even as we look upon those in whom you have strengthened and helped. So, Father, I pray that you would comfort us, strengthen us, help us. Even now, in Jesus' name.